Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. You can learn everything there from chaos magic to hermeticism to meditation to how to supercharge your finances and take absolute control of your destiny. In short, you get all of the tools you need to turn chaos into beautiful, scintillating order and master your life. It's incredible. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show quite a lot, but check it out. It's growing fast. And I just want to say, if you're confused about where to start, because I have so many courses there, the Adept Initiative is the place to go. The Adept Initiative is the flagship course on magic.me, and it contains everything you need to know to master the most profound ancient techniques of changing your consciousness and the most modern and cutting edge tools and systems for absolutely turning your life into a masterpiece. You are really going to dig it. Go check it out, and I will see you in class. It's magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. So welcome to the show. Um, I really appreciate you being on. So... Your name is Daryl Perkins, and your recent book is The End at Hand, An Illustrated History of the Apocalypse. Maybe we should just start off with, if you want to talk a little bit about who you are and about your book. Sure. Um, thanks for having me, Jason. Um, yeah, my name is Daryl Perkins. Uh, I'm from Providence, Rhode Island, United States. Um, I got interested in printmaking in college in my undergrad um, and then I got my master's in illustration in uh, Edinburgh, Scotland. And now I teach uh, drawing, painting, illustration, printmaking uh, at American University in Dubai. Uh, so I'm talking to you from Dubai right now. Um, and uh, that's where I've been. So it's a lot later for me out here. Okay, um, thank you. Uh, but where, so where I've been, um, uh, I've been teaching and uh, working with illustration um, and printmaking and all of that kind of rolled into one during COVID. Uh, you know, everybody was developing these projects, uh, picking up new hobbies, thinking about uh, new topics, and obviously talking about the end of the world and the plague and everything that was going on uh, during COVID and all of the fears. So I started um, making art about it and making prints and illustrations about it um, that uh, originally was going to be an exhibition of the art prints with maybe little stories of, that would pair with them. But as it evolved, um, I became equally interested in the stories as, um, as the illustrations. Uh, so it kind of organically became a book. Um, so it's it's my first book of this kind. Um, so writing was uh, it was writing and editing was a fun first uh, for me, uh, but it was it was really great to to see them kind of paired together and turn into uh, a full book. More, finding more and more of these stories about uh, the end of the world. I was just going to say, yeah. so you would say that the end of the world is a topic that has probably always been with us. And so my first question was going to be, was, you know, since you were doing this during COVID, 
did you find lots of similarities with other narratives to kind of what people were saying in the general culture during COVID or were they actually really different? Um, yeah, there's something that ties them all together. There's every single one of our fears, um, are brought together about this sort of end of the world that, um, we always seem to think it's, about us it's about our end of the world we're going to be a part of it it has to happen during our lifetime because it just would make our lives more interesting uh if it happened during our our lifetime uh when in fact you know it has happened millions of years ago when you know the uh the, through these different mass extinctions um and different societies have collapsed so i talk about the different ways that it can mean like a world ending event um but for the most part, the bulk of the stories is about uh, how we thought it would happen and then didn't. Mm. So sort of these human follies that have this uh, very similar um, link of looking back on it, uh, how silly, how quaint um, for us to make these mistakes, the hysteria and the mass fear that comes out of these things. Um, and uh uh, and COVID certainly had lots of that. Um, not that it wasn't a big deal. It turned out to be, you know, uh, definitely world altering, um, but not world ending. So I'm curious, I have a lot of questions actually. So I'm curious, in a lot of these stories that you collected, um, were most of the stories about things that were in the process of happening or prophecies about what might happen in the future? Like I think of like the book of Revelation as this will happen sometime in the future, whereas maybe like, you know, a narrative of the Black Plague as it was going on from the Decameron or something like that, or something in, in that literary vein would be more of on the ground. Um, yeah, it's a combination. So I would talk about each individual story, but then always relate it to today somehow. So, um, you know, if there, there are these stories of uh you know uh, the origins of our fears of zombies and now this uh zeitgeist of zombie apocalypse so what, what, what is the origin are, I, don't, I don't want to um, let that one go what is the origin of zombie apocalypse i don't want to interrupt you but that's so interesting i gotta i gotta pull it uh, out it started in haitian voodoo tradition um it was so when uh the french brought african slaves to haiti um uh, they were worked so hard that a lot of them wanted to commit suicide, but in their culture, they decided to keep their loved ones alive. There were these folktales, these stories that would come out and said, you know, if you do, you'll actually be trapped in this undead world and have to work this plantation for eternity as this undead zombie like monster and it sort of evolved and then it became all these other things with you know uh witch doctors that would uh discover these potions that could make you seem dead and then come back to life um and then i link it to science to think about how it could actually happen because you know we are actually altered by bacteria and there you know there's um, the fungus that can take over ants and we have rabies that can make us really aggressive. So all of these things like can alter us, but never to the point of an apocalypse. Did you ever read that um, book? Serpent? A, Did you ever read that book? Uh, the serpent in the row by Wade Davis. It's from, yeah. it's from the eighties. He was a ethnobotanist who went down to Haiti to find the drug that, uh, put people into the suspended animation zombie state. And, uh, I've seen him speak actually in New York, uh, with, uh, 
RFK Jr. of all people who's back in the news. But um, he, he made a pretty compelling argument that he'd found there actually was a powder that was given that included scopolamine and a few and, and a puffer fish toxin that would put people in a state of suspended animation. And then they'd kind of dig them up a few days later with brain damage. And then they could be, they would be working without a full brain, which is very dark. Uh, they later made a movie out of it with Bill Pullman, which was good, but not related to the book at all. Yeah, it sounds it sounds really good. Yeah, I did read articles about that, um, but I don't think I read that exact book. It's a good book. Yeah. Anyways, so, so, okay, so super interesting. So I don't want to get too off track. Um, so another question is, do you feel that there is any time in, in at least Western history where there has not been a prevailing end of the world? Um, no, I believe not. I believe that there is always, every generation has their fears that are unique to them. Um, uh, and, uh, and we, and I kind of, I try to go through them and then every culture has their own folktales and traditions and religions have their own. Um, so I try to spread it all around the world, all around history, going back in time and then going into how it could happen. Uh, and most of the times just how even smaller communities like cults can, uh, can fall mm. for. Um, so it's a cross-cultural uh, thing you would say like it doesn't like yeah. so many people talk about like christian eschatology or relating to the kind of uh christian um, um mythology but you think it is a cross-cultural phenomenon yeah there are um some some cultures that uh more more of their stories tie together than we think um but then there's always something unique about a situation um uh, for instance, like a lot of the esca, uh, escological stories, um, uh, about the end of the world, there's this idea of either life cycles or redemption or, uh, humanity run amok that God has to come and, you know, clean the wrath and, uh, and, and purge the evil out of the earth. There, there are these sort of, uh, through different religions, there are these uniformities, um, that that line them all up together but there are um some that are different like um uh japan has a really interesting one because of this unique geographical situation where they are on a, a fault line of tectonic plates that shift so they get a lot of earthquakes and tsunamis so they're sort of this apocalyptic they're living within this fear of the end of the world more than the rest of us because of this risk of natural disaster at all time. Um, so they developed these myths of this giant catfish that lived under the ocean and below the islands that anytime there was an earthquake, it would rattle and shake Japan. And to them, their world was ending because this, uh, this giant catfish was, was writhing under, under the water. And there was this God with this, uh, with this smooth stone that could balance it and keep everything balanced and, uh, and calm. But it was only when the, uh, catfish would, would ride free that, uh, that they would get these natural disasters. And so now there's, uh, still this, uh, culture of balance that they really care about. So they stack rocks, uh, to create balance. And they'll do that in their home, these pebbles, the smooth pebbles, this is Zen garden. Um, that type of thing is based off of this. They now think of the catfish as a symbol of 
uh, rebirth, because anytime there's a natural disaster, there's this idea of rebirth. Uh, yeah, yeah. Japan is a really interesting case because, um, not to be crass, I apologize, but they actually have had two nuclear bombs dropped on them, and then they went through Fukushima. And so, you know, if any, you know, there are many cultures in the world that can, you know, claim to have gone through like truly apocalyptic events, you know, Poland, things like this. But um, mm -hmm. uh, Japan has been through what what. You know, when people think about the apocalypse now, the first thing they probably think of is, um, you know, a nuclear war and they've been through that. And so I wonder, you know, outside of the older mythology, do you have any sense of how that has changed, you know, end of the world type mythology in Japan? I'm thinking of obviously there's like Godzilla, but then there's like apocalyptic cults like um, uh, Ohm Shinriko or whatever that was called, the sarin gas cult in the 90s, the apocalyptic yes. one. Uh, which apparently is still going and has yeah, people around the world. Oh, oh, okay, really? So talk about that. Um, well, that's another one that, so, I mean, I could have done, I mean, each of these cults could have multiple books written on them. But for my, I have this one section that's just on uh, doomsday cults. And there's something that happens um, with, uh, with people when you can convince them that the world is going to, come to an end that turns out they will uh, have nothing else to live for if they truly believe the world is going to end. So they will gladly give you all of their earthly possessions and donate their entire lives and self-service to whatever cause you want. They might have you work on their farm. They might have you uh, do whatever you want. And in uh, um, um uh, in, in that uh, scenario, um, uh, he was this uh, this this blind man from the mountains, from the rural uh, mountains in Japan, um, and he came down and he took advantage of these um, uh, these outcast but really intelligent college students. Um, if he could see they weren't great socially, he was very charismatic, as most doomsday cult leaders are, uh, and he convinced them that the world is coming to an end. So he ends up getting them to what they're really intelligent. So he ends up having them develop these, uh, these gas attacks uh, as well as uh, LSD and all of these drugs that he was really interested in. And he would have them drink his blood and all sorts of crazy stuff. I think, um, I think he had his own anime as well. They, they Shoko Ashihara, they, he produced his own anime about himself. I think at one point as a recruitment video. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, yeah. It would, that would work. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So he, um, but it ended up being, uh, the, are Japan's worst, uh, home terrorist disaster. Yeah. I remember reading a thing on vice a couple of years ago that they're kind of coming back and people are worried about it. And I think they're now international, which is the, under different names, which is concerning, but that, that brings up a really, maybe, maybe forgive me for being reductionist, but that's really interesting where you're saying that this is a really good way to control people. Do you think that that alone might be a big reason why this is such a kind of pernicious meme that's so, so well rooted in, in different cultures? I mean, and, and also I was thinking, is Christianity really that different? You know, like I, I uh, used to live in New York and or New York and LA. Now I live in Austin in Texas. And uh, yeah, people are pretty uh, apocalyptic mega church doomsday and they give a whole lot of money to these churches. There's some rich mega churches down here. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm wondering like what you were describing of uh, Shoko Asahara. It's like, yeah, he's kind of like this guy from the mountains with a long bearded hair and uh, you know, he, 
tells outcasts that the end of the world is coming. It's um, mm-hmm. how different is that really? Um, uh, yeah, I, I so I I try to keep it all in chronological order, so it does uh, kind of go from the earliest doomsday cults uh, all the way to I kind of cap it off with that it's still happening you know it it, uh, moved up into the modern era where people thought that the taiwanese group thought that uh, god was going to appear on our television sets because we were all obsessed with television at the time um and uh and now to today where it's more internet based but that's another way to control uh like there are doomsday bloggers that you know get people to say you got to come out and learn these survivalist skills out in oh, the woods and i don't know about that. that talk about that that's super interesting um there are writers and bloggers that do this as well as uh so that, you know that is this own phenomenon and part of that comes from uh also a generation of people that like the cold war kids they they were brought up on this so every like i said every generation has their own fear but um you know the growing up in the cold war they were certain that you know they were training all the time they were making bunkers um so oh, sorry, you're, talking, you're, talking about, you're kind of talking about preppers in in general yeah doomsday preppers culture kind of coming from that and then QAnon itself the the idea that the storm is coming um so you know seeing that and and the news all the time that you know it's going to get people addicted to it dedicated to whatever cause it may be um but yeah there's uh, there's a, a a ton of different ones and then like you said sometimes it's wrapped up into a christian cause or um all of it gets kind of muddied up so with religion or something else what are the big um repeating themes that Actually, before I go, go to that, I want to ask you kind of what repeating themes there are you see between them. But w- w- before we move on from cults, I wanted to ask you: Do you, are th- do you really think there are big difference be- differences or not between the doomsday myths of cults and like larger cultural ones? So obviously, we have big cultural doomsday myths. Uh, I don't want to say myths, but narratives going on right now. There's always something that's going to end the world, and that that. Is is that different from cult beliefs, or maybe not? Are there kind of repeating themes between them? Um, so the larger, sometimes folk tales, and some of the smaller, uh, like cult stuff. Um, uh, well, I think the difference is in action, maybe. Um, so you know, on on a cult, once they're dedicated to their dedicating their lives to it it's very different than sometimes like we were talking about the the catfish in uh in japan that's almost to calm people right so um it's more about what it's doing to manipulate people so if they end up uh finding it these stories as a response to either alleviate your concerns right so if it's something that you know, anytime there's a disaster, listen, this is why it happens, or this is why it will happen. Um, then it can it can be something positive for people. Um, just like the uh the the Viking myths, they have these uh brave, courageous kind of battle warrior gods that once all of them die out and the world ends, uh, it's seen as this kind of heroic, it actually made people 
uh, more courageous and, uh, and, and wanted to live for something bigger, um, as opposed to some of these smaller cults that, um, the, the cause and the action is, uh, more about just getting them to dedicate themselves to your cause, like in a, in a selfish way, if it's just, you know, to donate something to the leader or to a church or, uh, or yeah, or to harm others like in, in Japan. Although, I mean, when I think about, I have to be careful about what I say, but I mean, like, you know, when there, we have huge cultural, big scale, uh, stories about civilizational threat and risk. And I'm just in your saying this, cause I'm, a, I'm a bit cynical. It's like, I'm, I'm wondering, it's like what, at what I'm not saying those things are not necessarily not real. But at what level are those also being used to mobilize people and push their fear in a certain way and get them to dedicate their life energy to certain things? Notice on yeah, sure. specific ones. Because also, no, also no, fear, yeah. fear is a motivator. Um, and it's used uh for so many causes. Uh and you know, a lot of people it's innate, this fear of the end of the world. So if you can capitalize on it, then you can kind of make money off of it. Um, even in 1910, when Halley's Comet uh, came around, you know, it comes around every 80 years or so. But um, uh, but to them, they were certain. And New York Times ran a story from a professor saying uh, that, you know, that we have to be afraid of this space dust that is going to come off of the comet when it flies by Earth and uh, and we're all going to die. So people start selling special gas masks and they're making all of this money off of it, um, selling elixirs and potions that will protect you. And um, and it was another big hysteria um, for all sorts of different reasons, you know, whether they truly believed it or um, or it was just a case of uh, people trying to capitalize and make money off of it. That's maybe both. That's incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, just in recent memory, I'm thinking back to like, I'm sure you remember the Y2K thing. It's just like so utterly yeah. in retrospect, but people really believe that people were, really, uh, that was taken yeah. really seriously. I remember it was on the cover of time magazine and it's, it's everywhere. Um, yeah. and what was that? That was yeah, with the, the stickers to remember that, uh, um, to, to turn back your computers and yeah, there was a lot of fear and it, and it really, that was a fun one to write about because it was. Uh, you know, I remember it and that's one that we can all kind of laugh at because it just seems so silly in retrospect and to varying fast. degrees of people being af afraid of it. Um, and to this day, we still don't actually know there are conflicting things that you'll find because they put in like, you know, um, you know, a hundred billion dollars globally to fix the computers to, uh, um, to make sure that nothing happened. So who knows if it actually did fix anything or if it was nothing to worry about anyway. Hmm. Well, that, that kind of brings up another question for me, which is, you know, I'm a nineties kid. I remember that actually, um, heaven's gate happened 15 miles away from, or 15 minutes from where I was, um, grew up, you know, in Southern California. Yep. Yeah. With the, uh, what was that guy's name, uh, with the sneakers, you know, that were going to commit mass suicide and join the comment that was going by, um, Doe Applewhite. Yes. That's the one. Yeah. Real <laughs> individual, <laughs> how anyone fell for yeah. that on me, but you know, it's, it's how it goes. Um, 
but you know in the 90s there was such millenarianism you know it was like it was in all the media everyone was like you know no matter what you believe we were going to hit 2000 and is it just a number well let's see um yeah 90s were an apocalyptic and millenarian time and cults always come out during that time you know there was ohm there was heaven's gate there was all this stuff um and then you know i think ironically at the turn of the millennium a lot did go wrong but obviously the end of the world did not occur and so i'm i'm wondering is there a kind of do you feel that there's a difference now between now and then like is i'm not sure exactly what my question is but I think it's a lot harder to motivate people with pressing end of the world narratives now that we're kind of past that millennial point. Um, oh, I don't know. I, I know what you're saying about that turn of the century that um, people were getting really riled up. Um, but then 12 years later, there's uh, the, you know, the Mayan calendar. Um, and now with the internet, all ideas, even a, tiny little fraction of an idea can be blown up into this giant thing. Um, and I think, um, I, I think the Mayan calendar of 2012 was the first one that really, uh, got kind of snowballed because of the internet. There were people saying that it was going to happen this way and the world was going to end this way. Um, you know, when in fact the, the Mayans probably weren't even interested in predicting the end of the world, that was just the end of their date in the calendar and there was a damaged tablet that it's hard to even know what they were saying about it but it probably wasn't about the world ending maybe it was just a life cycle that you know it would start something new in which case it's a positive thing that we were able to live through this you know this uh life cycle that to them lasts like thousands of years yeah um yeah, that was a funny one. I remember during COVID, a lot of people were putting out memes that were like, well, they just forgot to, uh, you know, they f forgot to flip a few numbers around. Really, they meant 2020 or 2021. Yeah. yeah. Oh, imagine if those had coincided, we would uh, <laughs> right. assume it was mine. And there'd be yeah. people, there'd be people dancing in the streets, um, burning things. Um, mm -hmm. Well, we, okay, well, we actually have all been through this just apocalyptic period recently. And um are there human behaviors that you during actually during actual crisis periods? You know, it's interesting. I read a book called um, just Revelation by Elaine Pagels, the Gnostic scholar, and she was saying that the book of Revelations was kind of like uh, this cultural myth to describe the agony of, of um, Jerusalem being sacked by Rome yeah. in AD 70. And really what's that what that's about is it's a record of a war and the emperor Nero destroying Jerusalem and the, the second temple. Um, and that it's, you know, I think this is easier to see now because we understand in our current period that myths are like these big blown up political cartoons of events. Now, you know, it's like, we understand, I hope that like a Marvel cinematic universe movie is not real, but it is talking about themes that are present in our, in our world. But I guess in hindsight, looking back 2000 years, it's not so clear. Um, but I'm kind of wondering outside of, I think that in big crisis periods like COVID, I think that human beings have a real tendency to mythologize what they're going through. Um, but studying this stuff, do you see that that's a pattern and do you see any other patterns of human behavior for better or worse kind of emerging out of these periods that maybe we just saw repeated during COVID? Um, yeah, well, 
that's an interesting point. Um, we do have the benefit of hindsight and uh, global awareness now, um, and a lot more awareness of history. Um, I mean, we do, we are going to make myths out of everything around us, but so many times we can see what's happened before. Um, it reminds me of the story of Noah's Ark, which is uh, one of the oldest tales ever told. It's also about uh, the apocalypse and a global flood, um, which is a recurring theme that happens in different cultures and our, every culture has their fear of it. Um, and um, uh, it goes back so long ago and it's in so many different oral traditions, um, probably because there was a big flood uh, in Mesopotamia that, uh, as far as they were concerned, their entire world was wiped out. When you see your entire village and your neighboring villages um, all swept away and everyone's displaced, as those people spread across Africa and Europe and Asia, they tell these stories and the stories evolve and those become myths. And then they get attached to religions and then they become uh, these things of uh of of tales of the end of the world uh of course there's not enough water on earth to have a global flood um but yeah. to them they, you know it grew into this thing that it wasn't just my village and all the other villages on the on the river it was the entire world so of course everything grew bigger um i think because we have more awareness now when something like that happens uh, we can look back and we have the benefit of being able to look back on history and say, look, this is just a flood. This is just a plague, like, just like the others. This is just X, Y, and Z, you know? That's really interesting. And, and you know, it's like looking back on trends through history, it's, it's the question for me is always, and I think the flood is a perfect example, is the fact that there are flood stories throughout all these cultures does it mean that there actually was a flood and that this is a remembrance of it from various perspectives? Or does it mean that that story is just how kind of embedded in human consciousness? For instance, you know, I'm sure every story has, every culture has a story about human beings that can fly, but human beings can't fly. And as, to, as far as I know, there was no time in history where humans could fly, yet that's a universal myth. Uh, and maybe the flood uh, or the world being destroyed by fire uh, is something like that. Um, or maybe it's just that floods in general were so prevalent that they seemed apocalyptic whenever they happened. Maybe there was no one great flood. But um, that's always kind of the question for me looking back on things like that. Uh, and I feel that sometimes it's like, sometimes the, the line is hard to, it's, it's hard to tell which one it is or both. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's tricky because it is um, in so many cultures and it, it is there so much fear um in the 1500s in germany um uh this uh this mathematician and inventor he was really successful um he was the first uh, uh professor of uh astrology um at this uh really lofty german university in the 1500s um and he discovered that um uh, all of the planets were going to line up uh, which to him meant something massive had to happen, um, which now we know it happens again with hindsight. We know that it happens about every hundred years or so all the planets line up. 
Um, but to him, something big had to happen. And then he was interested in astrology. So he looked and saw that it was, um, uh, a Pisces year. So to him, he's doing the math and he's like, well, something big is going to happen. Okay. It's going to be the end of the world. Um, okay. It's a Pisces year flood. So he decide he puts these two components together and announces that, um, that the, the world is going to end by flood uh, at the end of this year. Um, so people and, and word starts to spread. It goes all the way to, uh, London, um, and, uh, and, and people prepare. Uh, so wealthy people got these big boats and they loaded their families on the boats at the end of the year. And it was a very dry year. Um, and, uh, and there were people on the shore kind of laughing at them saying, uh, you know, you guys are fools. Uh, but then it starts, um, on this particular day that he decided this was when the world was going to end, uh, it actually did start to rain. Um, so what happens is uh, uh, riots and hysteria. Uh, people, you know, people were literally heading for the hills in London. So people were running away. And uh, and in uh, Germany, people were at this point now scrambling to get onto these boats that they were mocking of these wealthy people. And they ended up uh, killing, uh, the wealthy people and throwing them overboard. And there was so, and like 500 people died, uh, in these riots. Um, and then of course the rain stopped and there was no flood. Um, and this guy, Johannes Stoffler, um, he ends up, uh, uh, you know, living the rest of his life in shame. He lost all of his credibility. He also was part of the reason that astrology is now, not really believed uh, and it's kind of considered hokey right because we lost our faith in that okay. um and he ended up dying of the plague uh later on anyway so that's so interesting uh, that this is this one was wealthy people um yeah. do you know because because it's like you know it's the stereotypical thing it's like oh that's always uneducated people who believe this stuff but i think it's interesting that it's wealthy people and it makes me think earlier you were talking about really educated people joining cults and that seems to be like very prevalent i mean like I don't know if you saw that a couple of years ago. That was there was that Netflix documentary, Wild Wild Country, about Osho, the uh, Rajneesh, and, and all those like it's like all grad students joining this cult, and they had an end of the world thing, and then they ended up trying to like poison everyone in Oregon with uh, E. coli, just like total total insanity. Um, but it's do you know yeah, uh, it was crazy. We were all wearing red and yeah. orange and uh, take it to the the mountains. Yeah, they're really wilding out. Um, like, yeah um do you know do you know uh Doug, douglas rushkoff the author he's a, uh no he's a, he's a media theorist um anyways uh i uh have known him for a long time i interviewed him on the podcast maybe 10 15 episodes back and what we talked about is that really interesting in light of what you just said where he got um because he's fairly well known he got called in to consult with all these ultra rich preppers who are like kind of like at the Jeff Bezos level of society. And they're all building bunkers under New Zealand and getting food and figuring out how to like basically and either get to Mars or have bunkers underground. Cause in their mind, everything's going to collapse. And then the rest of us are going to try and kill and eat them. So they're all terrified and they have all these ex Navy SEAL consultants. And uh, that's interesting thinking about what you're just saying, where here it's wealthy people in 1500s Germany. It's like, maybe that's uh a little repeating theme there as well. 
Oh yeah. Um, yeah. It, it turns out people um, that have a lot of money they're, they, you know, maybe it's that they think they know more than the other people and they're like, something's coming around the corner. So let me go get my bunker. Let me get my big ship when the flood comes. And, um, uh, and about, uh, so that's wealthy people, but then also educated people. Um, it's sometimes it's not always about critical thinking or, um, you know, innate fear, right? So it could be so many different reasons that we uh, fall for it or anyone falls for it. It just seems like a human thing, maybe. I mean, like uh, one thing that people say a lot is that this is maybe people's fear of their own death. It's just projected on the whole world and they want to involve everyone in it. That seems to be true from your reading. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you think about it, um, it's it's kind of a heroic way to go out, right? So whatever it is, if the world ends, then at least we're all going out together and it's not just me alone in a bed being sick yeah. with nobody knowing, alone, you know? Everyone's a big fear, right? Yeah. Um, oh, that's yeah. interesting. It's like, yeah, because it's like, you know, the, the real apocalypse for most people is more likely to be, um, you know, either dying of heart disease or cancer or dying uh, alone in a nursing home surrounded by pictures of your kids who don't visit you, you know? Yeah, not so glamorous. Not glamorous. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've probably been in places like this. You know, I have. It's like very, particularly in this culture, it's very, very sad. So the idea of nobody wants to die alone, I feel like that's way worse than some big end of the world scenario. Yeah. Um, what, what would you say that the craziest end of the world story you read in all of this was um the craziest i mean the doomsday cults are really out there they're really wild and the more i was looking into them the more i was like oh my and there were just more and more coming out um uh i i do really like the uh the stoffler's flood the hysteria in uh in germany from the 1500s i told you about um the one that i would say stuck with me the most though um, that I still kind of think about. It was one of the last ones that I added to the book. Um, in the 1960s, um, uh, was the first time that we started to be concerned with this idea of overpopulation. Um, and um, this guy, uh, Dr. John Calhoun, uh, starts doing an over... So it was the, uh, it was, uh, the global population had just hit... Uh, 3 billion people, uh, which seems quaint to us now at 8 billion people. But it's, at the time, it's doubled since then, though. That really wigs me out. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but to them, it had just, you know, tripled at the turn of the century. I think it was about 1 billion people. So to them, it was like, how could, you know, we're, they were noticing less space. So they were thinking, you know, so there, so he does um, this research with mice in uh, a, a giant cage that had plenty of space and even had these little side uh, spaces that they could all kind of nest in and be really comfortable and with unlimited food and water. And they all had a great society and everything was working well. But of course, as mice do, they, they procreate and multiply. And as uh, space got limited, even with unlimited food and water and resources, um, uh, it was uh, as as space um, became tighter, um, society kind of collapsed. So all the things that, you know, when if we want to look at all of the changes and how we 
uh, interact with each other. Um, so of course the, uh, the strongest, the most aggressive of the mice take over those, you know, those luxurious spots and then force the others to kind of cower together in the corner and they stop grooming themselves and they stop taking care of themselves. Remember this, um, so like when you get incel mice. Yeah. 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 So it creates just interest, check out. Right? Yeah. that literally are checked out of society, remove themselves. Um, mothers stop nesting and nurturing their young um, so that even when there are new young those don't know how to uh, nurture. So then it's not taught. So now it's a whole generation that don't know how to really live with each other. Um, so even once they reach maximum capacity, which we as humans are kind of at maximum capacity, and we actually expect the population to start going down soon. Um, uh, so with, with the mice, even once the population was going down, they had already lost all of their societal skills of taking care of each other and taking care of themselves. Um, so it, you would think that once there was better space, they could kind of level out and everything would go back to normal, but it was wrong. It's called behavioral sync is that once society's ruined, it all just kind of deteriorates and they all ended up dying out. Um, so, you know, Calhoun, so people start freaking out and they're saying, this is what's happening. You know, we're, and so anytime I see these videos of people bumping into each other on a plane and it turns into this giant eruption and all of this, like, and the way people treat each other in traffic and in cafes, all of this stuff, um, I, I always think back to this, this one research about it and this one fear that came from overpopulation and this fact that we're kind of losing our, um, our decency, our thought of, of caring for each other and, and considering each other as humans. Um, uh, just like, ju just the way the, the mice were. What, what is the thing about people being at max capacity? Is that, that's something people are saying now that the population is going to start going down? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, are, I mean, even they talk about people aren't, uh, having as many kids. Um, you don't have as much to provide for your kids. There's not as much space. So, um, couples are deciding to not have children, people's fear of the environment collapsing. They don't want to bring children into this world that's collapsing, all of that stuff. Um, so they do expect the population to, to start going down. Is what I, read. I, I think that's only, in, that's only in the US, Europe, and Japan, though, from my understanding. I mean, it depends on where you are in the world. I mean, like China, it's middle class is, is exploding. Um, and I, I wonder if that actually has to do with there not being enough, because from my understanding, it's it tends to be the opposite, where the the, the poorer people are, the more kids they tend to have, um, just because there's more people to take care of them, um, spread work out. And then also in countries where there's not good medical care, there's a chance that half of them are going to die. So mm. that's, I, I have read that as economies improve, access to healthcare improves, actually the childbirth rate goes down. Uh, as opposed to the opposite. So um, I wonder, I wonder, I, I'm not sure that's a global phenomenon. I think it may just be in the super developed parts of the world. Um, well, from, from what I read, it was, you know, it can't really, we, we wouldn't be able to support ourselves beyond like 10 billion people or something. Um, so at a certain level, it, it just naturally, we would all, 
the the population would have to mm. uh, that's disturbing because i mean it's like that happens with like deer populations right but it's like the natural thing is they all die of chronic wasting disease if there's no predators and there's too many because there's not enough food for everyone um, yeah natural process is not you know i'm sure that starving to death and chronic wasting disease is an awful way to die so uh much yeah. worse to be killed by a predator um yeah. so yeah i wonder uh that's cheery well hopefully it all evens out i mean i would like to think that humanity is a self-regulating system with intelligence unlike deer uh or something like yeah that. yeah i mean so you know i try to keep the book really light and my research i found it kind of fun and there were a lot of nice stories I, there's no way i could write a book with uh that was a really a downer you know I, I wouldn't take any enjoyment in it um but that was that was the only one that kind of stuck with me but even at the end of that there's the positive note of you know when his research came out that um everyone was freaking out and he was saying you're interpreting this wrong this mm -hmm. is research to for um and he was saying this in the 1960s saying actually we need to start treating uh the human stresses that happen when there's overpopulation, when there, when we have less space and less resources and, and we're cramped together. Um, so all of the anxieties that people are feeling, um, he's saying now is the time. So this is just step one in research. So it's saying, okay, if this is a problem, how can we actually treat it so that we can still nurture each other? Um, it was more optimistic than, uh, than this, this fear. So it seems like maybe in in researching all this over a long period of time, it's given you more of like a sense of humor about these things, maybe taking it less seriously. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you were saying, as as a cynic, I mean, you know, I've I've always been a bit cynical. I have a dark sense of humor, um, so I want to be able to laugh at this stuff and at least have a good chuckle at it. Um, uh, but yeah, every once in a while, there's something that kind of sticks with me, like oh, that one. I mean, how do you, how would you, do you have any thoughts on how you think the world would end? Um, I'm not sure it will. Uh, I think that would be too easy of an out for people. Uh, I think people have to manage, you know, and, and, uh, but, but that's an interesting question. I, what, what I was going to ask you next is like, if we just narrow the scope a little bit and let's look at like, for instance, like end of the world myths over the last, or, or narratives, it's probably a better way to say it than myths over the last 50 years. Um, I'm curious about themes there because I can think of so many that we used to hear about all the time. I mean, pretty much global warming, climate change has been in there consistently. Pandemics are obviously uh, a concern. But then you've got things like, um, you know, overpopulation. Like you remember that movie Soylent Green, right? It was like, oh, yeah, peak, yeah. like peak overpopulation fear. There's, yeah. um, you know, remember people, everyone, there was 2012, there's Y2K. But then there was like, everyone used to talk about peak oil non-stop and then you never hear about that anymore um mm. possibly because we started fracking and the oil industry started putting out tons of more propaganda against it um but or like in the 80s everyone and earlier everyone was convinced there was going to be mutually assured destruction that went away now it's back because of ukraine potentially you know the nukes, nukes are back on the table so i'm yes. wondering if you've seen kind of like any cycles or themes even just within our when our within our lived memory of these kind of narratives arising um yeah it's true they 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 come in cycles these fears um which you know in reality uh once something is introduced uh you know it's it's always at risk 
Um, so, of course, after World War II, when we actually used nuclear weapons, the fear for decades was that, and that's part of the Cold War. Um, uh, but then in the 90s, these peace treaties uh, were signed and, um, you know, we were, we're not as afraid of mutually assured destruction anymore. Um, but there are others that are just kind of natural disasters that um, can happen and has nothing to do with ourselves and how we mess things up. Um, and sometimes people are more afraid of that, you know, um, even a solar storm. So these magnetic fields that shoot out of uh, the sun and normally zap right by us. Uh, but every once in a while, it will give us a direct hit, which happened, um, uh, which happened just after the start of the electrical age and all these fires started. Um, and it was this, you know, there were these beautiful uh, uh, visions, uh, basically aurora borealis in the sky. Um, but it messed up and would knock us back into a pre-electrical age. We'd have to reset everything. Um, and they're, you know, they're dealing with this with electrical grids, trying to prevent it if we get hit with it. But that's something completely out of our control. And then there's the classics like um, volcanoes. Uh, so that actually did end the world twice, uh, wiped out uh, two different sets of dinosaurs before us. Um, and there are 20 super volcanoes with the capacity to wipe out Earth uh, on the planet. And we're overdue for a super volcanic eruption. Uh, it happens every once in a while and we'll mess up. Um, it will mess up our uh, the sky and the air and the sun getting through and our plants and agriculture that come from that. Um, so it can and that can happen at any moment. So um, I think those fears kind of get lost because they don't go away. Yeah. Just like kind of gotten used to the idea of nuclear Holocaust. Um, but uh, uh, because now, you know, now it's the all the rage is artificial intelligence. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, which I used to be much more apocalyptic about AI. And now I'm less. I think that the, the biggest thing that's going to come out of AI is uh people losing their jobs and then but it's also going to be people learning to work with ai and things just change things are just going to change really fast i think that after covid it's certainly harder to it's it's probably harder to dismiss big events like this just because we just went through a global pandemic that did unthinkable things that nobody thought possible like shut down the entire planet mm -hmm. so it's not maybe not so easy to kind of brush off doomsday scenarios anymore unfortunately but then again, I mean, on the other hand, it's like we went through COVID, everyone pretty much made it. I mean, the world didn't end. It seemed like it was going to be Stephen King's The Stand for a little bit there, but it wasn't. Yeah. You know, it's like people pretty much pulled through a, a little worse for a lot or a lot worse for the wear, but, you know, it didn't end. Yeah. Um, well, maybe we should um, maybe just to wrap up the conversation. I mean, I, I need to ask the obligatory question. It's like, what is it from your research? I mean, like, what can we learn? Uh, from the past on this i mean either you know maybe the most important question is like what can we learn from this coming out of to help with coming out of covid and the hangover from covid and also in preparing for future events which certainly will happen and i'm sure will not end the world but may feel like that at the time mm -hmm. um well uh 
on an optimistic note, we are more prepared for these things than ever. So all of these things that could happen, even the ones out of our control, like solar storms and volcanoes and um, all of these things that, that could wipe us out, we're in better shape. We're more prepared than the dinosaurs, that's for sure, right? Um, and as far as the issues that we've done, uh, that we've caused, like, you know, running out of our using up all of our resources and um, the environment and uh, artificial intelligence, those things, I mean, we are more aware of that. Um, so even what you're saying about not being as concerned uh, with artificial intelligence as maybe five years before, five years ago, before it really, you know, we were able to see what it was capable of. Um, but, you know, we are planning. Uh, so, you know, it's one of those tools that, you know, if we just like most tools and normally we make a tool and then we figure out how to use it. Uh, but we really need to, with artificial intelligence, particularly, um, uh, we need to know how to use it and control it before we unleash it. Thing. Um, so, and, and so we're just more prepared with, um, with all of these, uh, with all of our fears, um, overpopulation, anything that, you know, if someone were, cause I know there are people that are kept up at night over these concerns and we can't, we can't let it stop our, our living, our daily life. Um, but there are ways to be prepared and to consider taking care of the environment and to change things and make things better. And remember that even when someone bumps into you on a plane that, you know, it's, <laughs> they're a human being too. And they're also uncomfortable and packed like tin can, uh, like sardines in a tin can. Um, so all of, all of those uh, fears, we just need to be more conscious of it and we should be fine. Yeah, I like that. I think if anything comes out of COVID that's positive, it should hopefully be more of a sense of everyone being on the same page together and in the same boat. And pretty much everyone had to go through the same thing during COVID. Um, and mm. all kind of a little bit twitchy and messed up because of it in similar ways, I think. Um, and, Do you and feel like it united people because we all had a similar experience? <laughs> no. Or no, because we were all doing it separately we yeah, were all everyone was isolated but i think that um, a sense of on the tail end of it you know if anything everyone was at, at each other's throats you know particularly here um yeah, yeah. and but i think that uh if anything positive comes out of it it's maybe um uh, it will hopefully be in re in hindsight a realization that while we all thought we were going through yeah. individual hell we were actually all doing that together which is kind of such a beautiful metaphor for life in general um and that that we need to be more think of ourselves more as a we i mean we all had a shared experience even if we went through it alone and felt alone at the time uh and we need to be able to think of ourselves as a as as a species if we're going to um handle things like artificial intelligence or the next pandemic, you know, or a super volcano or whatever it might be. So I hope that pos even if it was awful going through it, I hope that there's positive takeaways on the other side. It's kind of what I'm saying. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good things do happen. I mean, 
uh, we're probably too close to the pandemic to really know some of the positive things that came out of it. But there's got to be a, a few things that forced us to, you know, maybe reconsider how we work, right? Working from home more and being able to do this video chat that maybe we wouldn't have not, we wouldn't, we have more experience with it now. Um, all, all of these different things that come out of it. I mean, there was a super volcanic eruption that um, uh, basically made, caused crop failure in Europe. So people had to, uh, they had to, kill and eat their horses as so they didn't have transportation so it forced them to invent the bicycle so there are these weird things that happen out of tragedy and out of these world shaping and world ending events yeah it is i mean i do feel that we are in a completely new world now particularly because of um the disruption of the idea of working in an office, I mean, and, and the, the merger of home and work, which was always the case for me, or I think probably a lot of creative people um, were already in that zone. But, you know, for the whole world now to be, you know, basically all of our socialization is now on the internet and not just social media, but also face-to-face -face communication, which is kind of intense. There's good things yeah. about it. There's a lot of bad things about it, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Anyways, well, that was a great conversation. Where can people find the book and find out more about you? And do you have any um, new projects coming up as well? Um, uh, yeah, you can find the book online. It's it's online everywhere. I'm sure it's on Amazon. And uh, it, you can get free shipping internationally on uh, Book Depository um, uh, if you're international. Um, it's in bookstores, too. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've got some, some ideas I'm, I'm tinkering with and, uh, mostly getting back to exhibiting and, uh, doing some art shows, but, uh, I have, I have some ideas for a next project that I'm really excited about. Oh, one, before I forget, one thing I did want to ask you though, is since you're teaching, have you noticed a big difference in students, uh, post COVID? kind of coming back to I went like do you is it are you teaching in person or is it all on zoom oh it's uh, I had to do it all on zoom and teaching art on zoom is not ideal I mean these were college kids that I mean they had to be uh, I mean uh, my heart goes out to their parents because they're probably at home you know with charcoal and paint and ink and everything making a mess everywhere and trying to figure it out on their own because they weren't in the studio and i couldn't teach them in person like physically show them um so that was really a challenge um but we all got through it um and i would say now that they're back um yeah i mean i think um i mean there's always some lingering effects i think um i think people maybe lost some attention span um because uh, you know they were they were stuck online and on screens and uh, they get they can be so distracted and um yeah there can be some lasting effects but i i think it will get back to normal and um uh yeah hopefully i mean i think it's probably worse i mean these are college kids so it's not too bad but i worry about you know younger generation like more developmental kids uh, you know, they might have some lasting effects. Yeah, it may take it may take us 20 years to see what the effects of that were. Yeah. 
Well, on that cheery end of the world note. <laughs> oh, oh, we should have ended with something better. Something happened. Well, I'm open to better, more positive endings. <laughs> I'm I'm out of stuff on my side. Okay. It's all going to be fine. Well, how about that? Okay, perfect. Uh, I, I agree. And I think that if anything, COVID shows that despite how awful it was, it all somehow it all, I, I feel that no matter what, somehow we all pull through in the end. All right. Mm -hmm. That was a great conversation. Thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. All right. Hope you really, really enjoyed that. I definitely had a lot of fun in that conversation. Meet us at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E, my school for magic, meditation, and mysticism, where you can learn all the skills you need to unleash your true self. I will see you in class. And until next time, hang in there.